Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. special guest as well one who's very very exciting we had her here last episode so um if you listen to that as you should have you can always go back real quick if you need to we'll still be here um but we're gonna let her introduce herself again in case you missed the amazing episode that was our last one hi i'm amy tofty i am a playwright and screenwriter and she is really good at underselling herself. <laughs> I made that joke last time. You get to hear it twice. Yes. Um, but no, she's phenomenal. She is very talented. She's written quite a few things, one of which we just got to world premiere. Um, and to hear all about cardboard castles hung on walls and to even hear a couple of snippets of the script, you really should hear the last episode if you didn't already. They yes. were very good readings. Oh. So, well, no. thank you, Brishina. We just pulled and I some actors best. off the street. Oh, yeah. right. They were random actors <laughs> off the street. Sorry, Brishina, I missed that cue. It's okay. We'll work on it later. <laughs> um, yeah. We're so today. I think we're just gonna like have a chat with Amy. We want to hear about her journey mm-hmm. as a playwright, about some of the other things she's mm-hmm. written. I have my pumpkin spice latte, and I'm like ready to hear. Mm-hmm. I'm living my basic white girl dream right now. Some people call it appropriation. Some people call it self care. You can take your pick. <laughs> I don't think Mackenzie is like. <laughs> she she wasn't shocked. ready for that. Joke. She was not ready. They have pumpkin spice frappuccinos in London, and I don't know how to feel about it. I they move. have them here. You've never had a pumpkin spice frappuccino. No, I've never either. had an iced pumpkin frappuccino. I Okay, never mind. I'm just going to stop talking. No, no, Mackenzie, I haven't either. What are you talking about? You can turn <laughs> any latte into a frappuccino. Brent, I graduated middle school like 10 years ago. I'm not ordering frappuccinos anymore. I mean, I... Okay, first of all, frappuccino is a lovely summer drink anytime you want one. And we live in Texas, so summer doesn't end until, like, November. Okay. All right? We literally broke 100 yesterday, ma'am. Like, it, we set a record. So it's very hot. Anyway, yeah. point being... Frappuccinos are for everyone, this not is, just middle this schoolers. This is the podcast where we argue about frappuccinos. That's yeah, how you'll sorry, Amy's that. gonna have to wait. This is serious. 
And second of all, pumpkin spice is good on anything. So frappuccinos, pumpkin spice, I see no problems, and your judgment is unappreciated. I'm not even drinking a frappuccino, and I'm offended. (laughs) I love it. And nothing else to say? We're, we're done? This we're is, good? This I'm is lo- what I'm, we're like, Amy. I, I, well, I, I figured that. I'm looking for an appropriate segue. The only segue I can think of is that I, I don't know the whole pumpkin spice thing, but apparently I'm going to have to try it now. You will. We'll, we'll fix so you. It's we'll, fine. We'll, we'll fix that. We'll by remedy the, that. By the next time Amy mm-hmm. is on a podcast, she'll mm-hmm. be able to say, I'm a playwright and a screenwriter, and I love pumpkin spice lattes. Exactly. <laughs> It'll just that become a part dream. of your introduction. <laughs> That will be the dream. We're doing what we can. So before I go off on another rant about how delicious my drink is. Yes. Amy, we would love to hear how you started on this wild journey that is playwriting. Yeah, I... I think, it. I mean, I want to say that I feel like it's pretty common. So I grew up in a small town in South Dakota. I grew up in a place called Brookings, South Dakota. And uh, I, I really started as an actor. And I think for a lot of kids in small towns and a lot of people that I meet throughout, you know, my, the course of my career, there's a lot of people start as actors. And I think it's because it's accessible. It's a thing you can do. You can audition for the play. You can, you know... Even if there's usually if you're doing like high school theater and middle school theater, it's like there's a small role for you. There's there's church, you know, there's church stuff. You know, the I played Mary at one point and I I remember my mom told me once I had like this whole fit because I was like, there's Mary should not be blonde. Mary cannot be blonde. How can Mary, mother of Jesus, be be blonde? Yeah, it's a whole thing. Um, I love that. <laughs> yeah. So, like, apparently I was a method actor as a very young child, and I didn't even know it. But, um, uh, you know, so I think small towns, like, that is where it's accessible. And I, you know, and the thing, too, I, I, didn't, I never knew any playwrights. I didn't know any playwrights. I didn't, I didn't know any women who wrote. Um, and plays were very ethereal things. Plays were written by old white guys. They were mostly dead. Um, or they lived in big fancy cities, you know, New York and Chicago. And, I, you know, I think that for what I like about the way the Internet and social media and those things work now is I hope for kids that that's not the case for them. I hope that people growing up now, they don't feel that because I felt that for sure. And mm-hmm. I think that we're getting to generations who don't have to feel that way because, well, because of podcasts like this and, you know, other things where there is this accessibility to new plays and that there there were probably playwrights writing around me. I just had no idea that they were, that they existed. Um, so Brookings was close. The, the closest like large city would be Minneapolis. And we did a lot of like family vacations and things like that to Minneapolis. We did a few to Chicago. And so I saw a lot of professional theater. There was a, the university in my hometown had a really great like summer stock theater. They would do, um, they would always do musicals. They would always just do things like that. And I, one of the things, I lived on a farm. Like, so I'm like really small town. I lived out on a farm. And before I could drive, I would ride, we would ride our bikes into town. It was like six miles, which seemed like a lot when you're a kid. But we would ride our bikes into town when, you know, our, our parents were, you know, it's also like that's what kids did. But I would ride my bike into town in the summers and I would sit in the back of the house when they were rehearsing and I would watch the college kids who just seemed like rock stars. Like it, it was like watching Broadway in my mind. And I would sit in the back of the house and I would watch them perform, you know, rehearsing and watch the director and watch them with scripts in hand. And like, so that was sort of 
like the whole theater thing, that's kind of where it started for me. And I kept pursuing acting. I, I went to school for acting. I studied acting. Um, I did one year at St. Olaf University, and then I transferred, or St. Olaf College, sorry, got that wrong, St. Olaf College, very small school, um, because I got scholarship money, but it was very small, and they didn't do a ton of theater there, and I was just really missing doing theater, so I transferred to the University of Iowa, which was, like, exploding with, like, there was so much theater going on, it was crazy, like, they didn't have enough actors for all the parts, and, like, so you would constantly be able to act in things, and they brought in guest artists from all over the country, and I was able to take a playwriting class, even though I was like, oh, this is fun, you know, like, I wasn't even really thinking about it, but, um, I, I did kind of start writing my first plays, really, in, my undergrad at the University of Iowa, but it was always like, oh, I'm not a writer. I'm not, you know, this is, I'm a, you know, I'm a fraud, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was really like, I'm an actor and that's what I'm going to do. And I studied and I took it very seriously. And so when I got out of school, I moved to New York and, um, you know, I studied acting in New York. I went to Bill Esper studio. I took classes at all the different like studios and stuff like that. I did a show at La Mama, which was very cool. And um, and I was just kind of doing that whole thing where you have you know you have a job that pays your bills and then you're just acting every moment you can and you can do that because you're right out of college and you have all the energy in the world <laughs> um, and uh, and that's what I did and um, you know but writing kind of never left me and um, I mean just to backtrack like writing was always something that I did like I always was writing stories or you know, little thing. I know my brother and I would do like puppet shows out on the farm. Like when we were stuck inside, we would pull the, push the couch away and take our stuffed animals. And we would, so it's like, when I really mm -hmm. think about it, like I was always playwriting, mm -hmm. but it took a long time for me to really say I'm a playwright. And I, th and I don't know how, I think that that can be common for some people, especially when you, especially with those, for those of us who started as that actor thing, and we start, veer, you know, because for some people it's a directing. It's like, oh, I am a director or I am a this or I am a that. You know, we all kind of find where we are. And some people, I mean, like I could I could act and stuff. I just don't want to. I just, <laughs> I just like I'm so much happier writing. And I know I know actors and I know what they go through. And I just am like, I don't need that aggravation in my life. I have all the aggravation I can handle with my plays <laughs> and the other writing that I do. But that's so, I mean, I don't think, I don't know if it's that unique of a journey. It's what what's unique to me is I feel, I think some of what I deal with still is having real confidence and really owning and, and knowing that what I'm doing is, um, is I, I don't want to say good because I think good and bad is the good bad binary. I have a whole thing about that. Like I think it's crap. Um, it's just about things that connect or don't connect is kind of the way I think about it. Um, but am I writing things that are that are worthwhile that will stand the test of time? And I and I really struggle with that sometimes about pursuing a project and then being like, you know, and they say that plays are never finished; they're abandoned. <laughs> is yeah. sort of an adage that gets said. And so sometimes that's part of what I deal with. And I think it always comes back to this feeling of never thinking that I'm actually a writer, that I, that I haven't earned it, I haven't done it. But the big step I made is I, I left a really good job and I went back to school. I went back, I went back to get my MFA. And that was sort of the, that was sort of the big step for me. And 
I had some huge life changes and I went to this MFA program at CalArts and I was just like, it was all about writing and creating art and creating work. It was 24 seven. I never stopped. It was like a constant bombardment of, of creative ideas of different art, uh, different programs within the Institute doing different kinds of things. So it was just a really amazing time. And then it started to feel a little bit better, but then you always slide back into, no, I'm still not a real writer. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, that's like the journey. I don't know, like... Yeah, no, I think that mm -hmm. that's great. I have to say, as someone who just directed a thing you wrote, you're definitely a writer. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you don't have to fear that, at least here. You can have that fear later. We can't control you. Um, But no, (laughs) definitely a writer. And a good one for the si- you know not that we should enter into a binary one that connects <laughs> better way to say it yeah um but yeah. no what you write i think is really important and we're glad that you're writing um I, i'm also a playwright and it's mm-hmm. funny you said you know it's some people are a director which is me yeah. i i kind of skipped the phase where i was like oh i'm an actor yeah. um i was that kid that like went to a really small school and we didn't have a theater program and right. I was like well I'm gonna make one yeah so like I've <laughs> yeah. always been teaching and directing and learning on That's the fly awesome. and like mm-hmm. performing but mm-hmm. like I started more as a director really than an actor which mm-hmm. is kind of a weird thing um but really it, I think it is hard it's hard to reach a point where you're willing to say I'm a playwright. Mm-hmm. It like the word like chokes in your throat. You're mm-hmm. like, am I allowed to say that? I'm I don't mm-hmm. not sure. Um, yeah. But Rashina and Mackenzie, I think, are both actors first. Um, mm-hmm. Both of them went mm-hmm. to school for acting, mm-hmm. um, and yet both of them write. Yeah. Um, and so could I think that's fantastic. Do either? I think everyone should be writing. I I agree, yeah. and I think that that's something that we talk about a lot. Is that mm-hmm. really? Each of us has experience yeah. and perspective and stories that like won't be mm-hmm. shared unless mm-hmm. we're willing to share mm-hmm. it in some format. Yeah. Um, and so I, th- I and some of the best plays are actor playwrights mm-hmm. because you mm-hmm. as an actor, you mm-hmm. understand firstly the type of role that you would love to play. Right? I was totally going to say that. Yeah. That's exactly where I go the first when I'm mm-hmm. starting something. But, yeah. but there's something really beautiful about that mm-hmm. because you, as mm-hmm. an actor, want that challenging role, that mm-hmm. profound role, that thing that you really have to like dig into mm-hmm. and wrap your head around. And it mm-hmm. creates a really well thought out, beautiful, mm-hmm. complex character when you mm-hmm. come at it from that direction. Yeah. Um, so I think actor playwrights are phenomenal mm-hmm. oftentimes because mm-hmm. they have that perspective that's character driven because mm-hmm. that's their primary art form. Right. Um, but do either of y'all want to speak to that journey of like being an actor first, but then also having your own stories that you want to tell? Um, yeah. Yeah, do you want to go first, Mackenzie? You can go first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I started out as an actor from very little. I was always the kid who was um, putting on plays, mm-hmm. um, you know, telling jokes, <laughs> thinking I was a stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. Girl, um, you are a stand-up I, comedian. <laughs> <laughs> once I learned one joke, I, <laughs> I would perform it for all of my parents' friends. What was your go-to joke as a child? Um, mine was, knock-knock. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, Who's there? Orange. Orange who? Knock, knock. 
who's there. I messed it up already. <laughs> <laughs> but I was that kid. I was that. That was me. That was my. That was my. That was what I did. Um, and so I believed that I would be an actor for a very mm-hmm. long time. Um, I was always interested in creative writing. Mm-hmm. Um, in yeah. English, I always was like, okay, let's get the mechanics out of the way so I can just write yeah. whatever I want yeah, to. Yeah, totally. Um, mm-hmm. And then when I got to college, they were our program was like, let's do a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so primarily I was still there for performance, but I took a playwriting play class mm-hmm. um, with Dale Orlander Smith, mm-hmm. um, who's oh, a phenomenal awesome. playwright. Yeah. Shut up. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> How did I not know you took a class with Dale Orlander Smith? I thought you did. I didn't. That's awesome. That's like one of the coolest things about you. How did I not know that? She's amazing. Well, hair flip. Um, Shout out to you, Dale Orlander Smith. Maybe we'll talk to you on this podcast someday. Oh my someday. gosh, that would be so great. Anyway, I'm, carry on. That's yes. amazing. Um, but I got to take a, a playwriting class with her, mm-hmm. and um, I had already started writing plays a little bit while I was while I was in the program and so that really just like pushed me forward a little bit more on you know learning to write mm-hmm. um and also got into directing like it mm-hmm. was one of those things where i had i had directed a little bit in high school because our our drama program was run by um a woman who had her mfa as well in or she had her doctorate in mm-hmm. english and theater and so she was very much in the you know you should learn a little bit of everything yeah. sort of camp so we mm-hmm. did a little bit of directing in high school that's awesome and so you know mm-hmm. that's why that's why i feel like an actor first but i really love mm-hmm. every aspect of theater i mm-hmm. think it's so cool and so mm-hmm. important um and i still you know do a little bit of writing today i'll be directing here pretty soon nice <laughs> um uh so i i really do i think that it's just helps you make it helps make you a well-rounded theater artist mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and you also understand what the people in those roles are going through. Mm. Yes. Which yeah. I think is important, you know, and understanding boundaries of, you know, because you're collaborating at the end of the day with all these people. Mm-hmm. And so having a, a foot in that, I mean, that's how film schools work. Film schools have you do all the roles on a set usually. And so you have an understanding, you know, you have to understand what the sound person's going through. You know, yeah. so you don't just yell at them when they keep wanting to hold. <laughs> yeah, well, and, yeah. but it's you really know. important, and it's I really think important. that, like, in a lot of ways, film has done a better job of that than yeah. theater mm-hmm. overall. Yeah. It feels be- like it, be- yeah, because mm-hmm. there are well-rounded theater artists, but there's also a lot of people in theater who have their one thing. Yeah, um, the number, for example, the number of designers I talk to yeah. who struggle working with different directors who mm-hmm. just don't understand. How to work with a designer effectively, mm-hmm. and it's not al- even always the director's fault. A lot of time, di- a lot of times, directors are taught to do some of the work of designers, right. so they don't even realize right. that they're entirely stepping on the toes of another professional that has something more to offer the right. process than right. they're allowing them to. Right. Um, but anyway, I so I think that being well-rounded is important. Understanding the different mm-hmm. roles and knowing how to collaborate effectively with people Mm -hmm. in a way that grants each person ultimate creative freedom to make choices and ultimately create Mm -hmm. a final product that they've all contributed to Mm -hmm. in the best that they can. Well, and like what I loved about being at CalArts as the MFA writers, we were in the MFA one acting class with all the MFA actors. That's cool. We had to do scenes 
and um, and then we had uh, we and we were with all the designers. And the design classes I actually loved because we you almost become like they only take two writers every year. And I actually don't think they have a writing program anymore. But when I was there, it was two writers. So there's only two of us. And then there's two directors. And then it's all the designers. And they almost treated us like mascots. We were like these cute, <laughs> these cute people who didn't know how to draw, didn't know how to make cool stuff. But, you know, so we would kind of do what we could. But, man, I love because CalArts designers like – they're amazing like they will bring in set models that are a work of art like they mm -hmm. are a work of art in and of themselves and also like the the narrative that they're exploring with that set um and, and to me i just learned so much and because you what you're really learning about is how an art a different kind of artist from you is going to analyze your script mm. because we would have a script every week and then we'd have to design for that script mm. and so f seeing like just 20 different completely different interpretations of how, of a, what a set could look like that's really cool for like the wild duck it's like you know it, it's it's kind of amazing to have that experience in 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 you're in this in you're in this safe space right because you're in school and um mm -hmm. that that to me was a really important part of of that time because it is, it's like you have to know what they're going through and what, and the, and the, and the, at the end of the day, a lot of us, what we're doing when we get into production, we're problem solving. And, you know, how do you, and you, that's part of the collaboration, it's part of the problem. Even the actors, the actors are still problem solving a little bit. Definitely. Um, but we need to hear from Mackenzie about yeah. her journey. Absolutely. <laughs> I, not to put Mackenzie on the spot, but I think she most recently of the four of us has really kind of discovered a love for writing as being an actor first mm -hmm. um, and maybe wouldn't yet call herself a playwright. I think she <laughs> should, but she probably won't yet. But I think she's like on the journey toward being able to claim that mm -hmm. for herself, mm -hmm. even if she's not there yet. So like talk a little bit about like being an actor who then now also wants to tell your own stories. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I had my eye on one prize my entire life. I wanted to be an actor. I was a little diva of a child, um, wanted nothing more than to be an actor. And it wasn't until my senior year of college, which was literally last year, that I realized that I had broader passions when it came to theater. Like I had, I had broad passions within acting, but I, it wasn't until last year that I was like, there's more to theater than just acting that I love. Um, and for me, it really came down to the idea that one day I came to the realization that if you're not seeing or doing the theater that you wanna be seeing or doing, create it for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So that's become something that I have become a really big advocate for and something that I'm really passionate about is Shakespeare um, and history. And I love that and I I love studying that. Obviously, I'm getting a master's in it. Um, but I think there are so many stories within these ideas that I love that aren't necessarily original narratives, but are stories that have not been told or have not been framed in a very um, contemporary perspective that I think need to be told. And so I, I've done a lot of like work with like adaptation and stuff um, and working with pre-existing text. but even more recently, as in like two weeks ago, um, I started working on like an original thing. And so it's really scary and it's really new, but I think that it 
is really exhilarating and it allows for a whole new level of vulnerability and growth. Yeah. Yeah, I am glad that you brought the vulnerability up. I think that all of us have acted. Mm-hmm. Um and acting is so vulnerable, right? It's it's mm-hmm. it's interesting because you're playing a different character on stage, but you rarely feel more vulnerable just in life than when you're doing that Mm -hmm. there's something of yourself that you're showing even in the midst of being someone else Mm -hmm. that you like don't show otherwise Mm -hmm. but then at least for me and it sounds like for you writing is like even this added step of vulnerability I mean Mm -hmm. it is a piece of yourself that you're just like bearing before the world Mm -hmm. when it's Mm -hmm. read out loud and performed and I think part of that, I mean, this is kind of what I've come to, is th- there's a part of that that taps into shame. And I think it's really hard to talk about vulnerability without the idea of shame because it's like overcoming that. And and um, there's been all these all this work with Brene Brown who does all this stuff about, she's Texan, so you guys have to know who she is, right? Oh, yes. But, um, <laughs> but, um, but you know, this idea of how, who, who am I, how dare I, how dare I, you know, put these words on paper that other people should say and people should gather around and listen to, you know. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's part of, uh, that to me is sometimes the thing that gnaws at me a little bit. And I think that, because that to me is tied into the vulnerability of, you know, kind of overcoming that. And I think that that's why communi- doing it within communities is so important and having those people around you, having those trusted people that you can share your work with the first time and like feel like it's safe and feel like that is so important, especially for newer writers, I feel. And I was very lucky to have a lot of that around me. Um, and I've learned over the years how to cultivate those people in my life because there are people there are people that you just yeah, you don't need to share your work with them. <laughs> not yes. the early work, not yeah. the not the work that's not ready, not the work that you're still figuring out, not the, you know, because there's a way that, you know, they can tear holes in it that are irreparable and you could actually lose, you could actually lose sight of something that could actually eventually be very good mm-hmm. because they're not, they've got their own baggage that they're bringing to it. And, you know, and that's what, that's where it can get tricky with the writing, um, if any of that makes sense to people yeah absolutely it 100 percent does (laughs) (laughs) i i am one of the writers who's like no you can never look at it (laughs) and so so like that that vulnerability of like having people in my life who are like no no you should Mm -hmm. you should actually do this like Mm -hmm. this is really good um it's it's very helpful to have it at that early stage i couldn't I could not imagine if somebody read one of one of my pieces and was like, "This is actually terrible. You should never mm-hmm. write again." I would probably crumble well, I th- <laughs> into well, and a ball, I, and well, that's that's what you have to protect but yourself from. But it's also from. like, who, who, like anybody would do that to anybody? I'm just like, what is wrong with you? But yeah. some people just don't like writing is such a process, and plays are such a process. And mm-hmm. I've been part of so many writing groups. And I, I do kind of like, and this is me, and this is like a problem I have. Like, I'm, I'm very much the person who's going to kind of surround the one who, if I think they're getting beat up a little bit, I'm going to be the one who's going to be like, y- everyone needs to just stop. And I'm going to mm-hmm. pull that person aside and say, let's have a conversation. Because this form, it's sometimes the format, right? It's sometimes mm-hmm. that, it's so funny. They had a ri- they have a very famous playwrights workshop at, at Iowa where I was. And so I was there as an actor, but we reaped the benefits of this MFA 
writing playwriting workshop that was I mean amazing like amazing people have come out of that program and but uh, a guest director there once told me that he called their he called their workshop nights where they do feedback he called it the barbecue because it was just all about people showing how smart they were tearing down the work of the other people and like it just was something mm. I don't think it was always that way it was just something that was happening while he was there that he was just very he's like no one should be creating work like this is just terrible and um and I always kept that in the back of my mind that if you are in a in a writing group or a writing workshop or any kind of scenario where, where it is about let's just poke holes in the script, like that's just not that's just not cool and it's and it's not serving anybody. It's mm -hmm. not building anything. It's not like, and it does nobody any good. And mm -hmm. and I think there are and it's why there's a lot of feedback structures I think that have evolved like Liz Lerman and there are different kinds of moderated things mm -hmm. that have evolved that are so much better that companies use and playwriting groups use now. And that's why, because, you know, you just don't know, you just don't know where genius might lie in a piece of writing. And it could definitely start as a piece of not so good theater, <laughs> but it mm -hmm. could go, s you never know where it can go with the right kind of, you know, the right kind of nurturing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of what I love about it, you know, because y it's like you are, you're growing something. Uh, so you're giving birth. You're giving birth. <laughs> you're giving birth. Absolutely. They're babies, right? Mm. I mean, you know, so I think it's great. And to segue maybe a yeah. little bit, but one of the things that I think is interesting about you is that of your babies, there's a lot of diversity in terms of types yeah. of shows that yeah. you've written. Mm -hmm. I think that... Um, there's a lot of conversation around playwriting in terms of like finding your voice and writing yep. like a type of play oh a yes. lot of time. Oh yes. um, but <laughs> yeah, and you're like rolling your eyes because well, that's not what you've done, right? Well, but no, I, so but what I would love yeah. to know is like, I have the pleasure of like knowing several of the other plays you've written, mm -hmm. but I'd love for you to share a little bit about maybe a few of them. Yeah. We've already heard about cardboard castles hung on walls. Mm -hmm. We have a whole episode about it. Mm -hmm. But what are a few of the other plays mm -hmm. in? your canon so to speak oh my God. i know i'm <laughs> using fancy words oh for you God. you're welcome <laughs> what are some of these other plays though and then like is there is there an is there a through line for you that's maybe less obvious for people in terms of like mm -hmm. why you write what you mm -hmm. write or mm -hmm. the types of shows that you like to write mm -hmm. even if genre wise they don't seem connected necessarily you're basically talking about the artistic statement yeah. Yeah. Give us your artistic <laughs> statement, Amy. Yeah. But plug a few of your plays that's first. The, that's <laughs> the only reason I roll my eyes because it's just like the it's just like the horror of every like you know every artist in the world is like because you write you, when you apply for stuff it's always yeah. what's your artistic statement and what what do you what does the work mean and I talk about this in the play like I don't know you tell you whatever okay. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. 
That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I would love to hear, <laughs> again, some of your other plays, okay. and then okay. why those plays? What is your voice through those different things, despite right. the fact that they're different genres? Right. So the last artistic statement, and, and this is what's really hard for me, because it is very hard to talk about, like, what kind of... I will adjust my mic so you can hear me. What um, What's very hard sometimes, to it is hard to talk about, like, what kind of writer are you, what kind of plays do you write because then I get it that it's helpful for a lot of people especially from a marketing point of view and you know people want to know what they're getting themselves into but I also think I am that kind of writer where I am such an explorer like I I, I also love people I love coming to small communities like Waco Texas to explore what this place is all about and the people here and I think that could be considered a through line of my plays that they're individual explorations of a world or people or characters that are very unique to that play um, so other plays of mine, um, so there's a play that I, uh, a play that I just developed in New York, um, called, uh, Relentless Pursuit of a Lady. So Relentless Pursuit of a Lady is a play that is, uh, it's, it's about rape for lack of a better word, rape, assault, rape culture. And it's basically three men, three women. And it's a, it's just again it has some it has some similar qualities to cardboard castles and that it has like a magical space there's like a mag there's a realism but there's also like a magical quality to it where we're really asking the audience to jump place and time and um that development process was actually really great because one of the things we were kind of refining is the shift between those spaces and that that's a very hard thing to do like over zoom Right. Uh, I did some play development over Zoom with a different plays uh, with Cardboard Castles. Mm -hmm. We did that. But it's like we had to be in a space. And so I was very, very excited. I spent two weeks there and with actors in a space. We you know, I did rewriting, rearranging. And and that's a play that I f that I really love. And I'm hoping there's, you know, some next steps involved in that um, to get it to because it's still script in hand. So I, the next step is really workshop production or something to to now we can really kind of kick the tires on it a little bit. Um, and another play that I have that I really love is about to get published is my play Flesh Eating Tiger. And um, I think with Flesh Eating Tiger, so Flesh Eating Tiger was developed by two actors that I met in my graduate program at CalArts and uh, Gabriel, Gabriel Trigo and Sam Breen. And they were just two actors I really wanted to work with. I just liked their work. And so they were like, sure, let's work on something. And I started just kind of kicking out pages. And this 
thing just kind of evolved out of us working together. And because we were in that environment that was very nurturing of kind of pushing boundaries and not not obeying any rules, like there's no rules of theater and just do it, you know, do what feels natural to the story. Uh, it just became this very wild kind of unruly thing. And it's a play about alcoholism. And so basically the story is the guy's an alcoholic and or he's addicted to alcohol and she's addicted to him is the that's the kind of the idea of the story. And what I loved about that is that the play itself, the writing of the play, the text of the play, it's very true to the craziness of that kind of relationship. And that's what's really fun about it. And we, we took the show to Edinburgh. We uh, It was at the Hollywood Fringe. It's been produced in actually a lot of places um, by different companies. And it, it – um, it took a while to get uh, actually. It took a while to get published because I had to get I had to get the uh, the rights to the twelve steps from Alcoholics Anonymous uh, oh. because that's like IP for them, and so mm -hmm. I had to like get in touch with like. So there was like a whole thing to get it published, but we got that. It's part of the script, and um, but I kind of love that play because, and that's the thing to me. Like when I'm writing, that is really what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the right vessel for the play. I'm looking for what is the best way for this play to uh, to come, like basically to come to life in the world? And because th there's a danger, right? There's a danger with readings. There's a danger with readings that you're only writing for the reading. That you're only writing mm. for that mm -hmm. that one that one level of storytelling. And the thing is that I've seen plays that read really well, and you put them on their feet, and they fall really flat. Mm -hmm. Like th there's the there's there's not a dramatic something going on in a way that makes it feel really visceral for an audience and so I think that's what I always have a, a mind of when I'm whether whatever the story is that I'm writing that there are those really visceral moments that I know they might seem very simple on the page but I know that when they come to life on a stage that they will be very um they will just kind of energize the, the the action in a way and not necessarily not even shock an audience, but maybe get an audience to lean in or to laugh or and a, this idea of absurdity, this idea of like dark humor. Like I, I think there's a lot of dark humor in what I do, a lot of absurdity in what I do. Um, I have one playwright friend who's like, ooh, there's that Amy Tufty twist. Like the play is just kind of going along. And so people who know me, like especially a play that seems like everything is – normal they're just waiting for the thing like what what's happening what, what's gonna happen that is not normal because amy does not write normal so something's gonna happen so i think that might be considered some kind of through line i don't know yeah and i, I think that to draw on some of the things that we've talked about outside the scope of this podcast right um you i mean you've written a play about women in space yeah, you've written yeah. written a, a western mm -hmm. you are really interested mm -hmm. in issues of womanhood and assault you right. discussed one play where it's about that but that's not your only play about it, that right um and so you have a deeply humanist and feminist perspective mm -hmm. but then you couple it with this tendency toward the absurd mm -hmm. and wanting the story to be mm -hmm. encapsulated in a mm -hmm. vessel that reflects the type of story that it is yeah. where the form of the play is as important as the text of the mm -hmm. play, which I think is really unique and really fascinating. And I think too, like one of, one of the playwriting things that I learned early on from good teachers is that theme comes last. Mm. And I think that's a really important thing for writers to remember 
and um, and that is something that I repeat and that I remind myself of. I'm I usually I usually start with characters, even if I know that there's a thing that I know will be part of the play. I try to not focus on that because it, it's always so much better when the theme emerges and that in in a weird way the play tells you what the theme is. Yes. Because even like with cardboard castle, yes, it's about cardboard castles. You know, it's about art. It's about politics. It's about the unhoused. But if you had to tell me the theme, I, I, I'd say the theme is something about idealism. There's something about idealism or, like, fractured idealism or, you know, that the that's kind of that larger thing. And if I had set out to write a play about idealism, it would probably be mm-hmm. a very terrible play. <laughs> and so, and that's even, like, with, car- with, um, with Flesh Eating Tiger, I really started with these two characters. I started with this idea of a toxic relationship. And it only became very clear to me, oh, she's addicted to him. Oh, like, and so you have those kinds of discoveries. And that's what's so interesting in playwriting, especially when you're in that collaborative mode and when a script is starting to grow and it gets beyond that reading stage and you start staging it, new things will start to kind of percolate to the surface, like either missed opportunities or, or something that just doesn't belong. Like, you're like, oh, you know what, that I can see mm-hmm. how that doesn't belong in this play or with that character. But it's so much about starting with characters. And that, to me, like Women of 4G, the space play, that play came from, ab- is about women in leadership. And I, I, I just knew, I, I had this idea of, a, you know, you always see, um, you always see women who are like, oh, I'm a leader. I'm a, you know, basically women who are put into male roles and they basically are women acting like men, mm-hmm. right? They're just being like very macho. They just have boobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, <laughs> I wanted to write what strength is from a, from a woman's point of view. And, and strength, to me, there's a lot of strength in, in things like uh, vulnerability. There's a lot of strength in, you know, being able to admit they don't know something and to ask questions and, you know, and to actually be very nurturing. And it reminded me so much of the strong women that I grew up with mm. and strong women who were mentors to me, not necessarily in the theater, but just in other parts of my life that were just very tough, but they didn't have to show it. You know what I mean? And that's mm. what Women of 4G became about for me is different kinds of women. And there are some tough women in there. There's some stage fighting that goes on. And... Um, you know, but they are all different kinds of women, but they're all tough in different ways, and they all have leadership skills that are very different. And to me, that was the the way it started. And then, and then as the story kind of grew, then it became more about like sacrifice and you know, and all these things about you know women placed in this in peril, and how do they how do they navigate how do they navigate like in te- like really stressful situations. Um, and that's kind of what I love about that play. And, and that, that's a play that I wrote very fast. I wrote that play very fast. And I think it was just something that was kind of in my bones because I've had a lot of strong women in my life. And so I guess there is that part of it. And then there's this other play I have that's about Helen of Troy that I adore because it's about a Helen who is not gorgeous. She's just a pl- I call her the plain, a plain Jane Helen. And, it's this idea of like uprooting that whole myth and the prob the problem of female beauty and how it is, um, how it is in some ways, it's a kind of currency that that mm-hmm. women have to deal with that men don't have to deal with, and and it's about her best friend who actually is like drop dead gorgeous, and then the drop dead gorgeous friend has her own problems 
because she's drop dead gorgeous, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so to me, like, I'm always starting with characters and I'm starting with things that are compelling. And in the back of my mind, I'm also thinking of amazing actors that I know that would like kill at those roles. And that's, you know, and I think when I start from there, and then and then do the really hard work because the the writing is actually really hard work. I mean, this part is the fun part, <laughs> you know. But then, mm -hmm. like, actually having it make sense and feel well structured and feel like a strong story and really hold together and all that, like that that becomes more of like the brick lane and the, you know, the wee hours of doubting yourself and crying and <laughs> 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 and questioning and rewriting and throwing things out. But I mean, but to me that. That, that's all part of it and I think that's part of why I, you know if I could just make if I could make a living as a playwright I would that's all I would do like I wouldn't do anything else but it's very hard to make a living as a playwright but like I can't stop doing it yeah you know it's just it's and again because it's about taking that script and then the, and then it's like oh my god someone's gonna perform it it's gonna happen like then it's just Oh my God, like that, the excitement of that, knowing that there will be bodies in a room working it out, like then, then it just starts to take on a life of its own, you know? So to me, that's really the, the draw and the, the problem. <laughs> 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 but th that's my experience. I know not every playwright is going to be that way. Not every writer will feel that way, but like I, yeah. So yeah, I, I I get drawn into any little thing. Like I can get drawn into any little thing and and want to write about it. So um, I have a lot of plans. It's it's exciting though, and I think that it's really refreshing to hear a writer who's been doing this a long time and who's may you may argue with me, but like fairly accomplished at it. Um, who mm -hmm. is willing to say, no, just write the thing that excites you. You oh, don't totally. have to have something that's quote unquote on brand. You can yeah. just write the thing that you want to write. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you said that I loved that I don't think you've said here is that you never write a bit part. Right. Right. And so yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you know, yeah. you talk about this yeah. actor driven, character driven way of writing mm -hmm. that you fall in love with these characters, but yeah. then people get to fall in love with playing those characters right. and when actors are in love with playing a character I, audiences mm -hmm. fall in love with those characters right. being performed right. and I think that it's it feels like a very natural way to write mm -hmm. and it, it's not you're not boxed in mm -hmm. and because it is so hard to make a living it has to be a thing that you love doing yeah. so oh, why yeah. push yourself yeah. in a direction that you may or may not want to go for the yeah. sake of appeasing those who tell you you should yeah. when you can just run the full gamut and write what is true to you well and also too like i I truly believe that the value is in doing the work. The value is in the, the act of writing. And that's the thing, like, um, there's this whole thing about tortured writer and stuff like that. And yes, there are times I feel a little tortured um, when I'm trying to problem solve. But my happiest place, I've, I've always said this, that the two happiest places for me are either when I'm writing or I'm in the rehearsal room. Mm. I love being in rehearsal because 
you know, I love actors. I love the process. And, like, not rehearsal like me running the rehearsal. Like, me fly on the wall as a writer listening and learning because I learn so much. I learn about the questions people ask about the play or the character or things that are not working or what do I need to look at more closely or what how did I, how did I create that terrible transition that they can't get from this to this? <laughs> you know, like, I got to fix that. Like, just, like, the technical stuff. But, you know, because it's almost like when you're in rehearsal, the play still kind of belongs to you and the cast and the team and the designers and like you guys are you're, you're like a little family and sometimes when it gets into per performance then it just kind of you lose some of that magic it kind of depends on the play but um I'm just very process oriented and I think that that's to me that's where the real joy comes from is loving the process and when you're lucky and you have a great process and then you turn and you pivot that into a positive performance experience then that's like amazing but again it's like you have to have the planets align some you know it's like people are always like how do bad films get made and i'm like well i'll tell you like <laughs> how does any film get made <laughs> like how does any play get done like it's like it's so hard to find the right collaborators to get all the you know to get everybody on the same page to get you know everyone's got their own crap they're dealing with everyone brings baggage that you know it's like it's it's a really tricky thing we're all human beings but it's like finding those magical times like to me that's that's a really great thing and that's why i encourage people to write mm -hmm. because that process can actually be really great and it doesn't matter if it ever ends up on a stage or not it's the fact that you're doing it you will discover things you will you know and who knows what it will become um yeah yeah uh Brishina mckenzie do you what's resonating for y'all from all of this before we wrap up so many things <laughs> I mean, I have my sticky notes out. I'm taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are yeah. a couple of your sticky notes, what Mackenzie? Are your notes? Um, I mean, I'm an actor, so like, I absolutely agree that like it is so much easier to put my heart and soul into characters that I love, and writing for characters first is definitely something that also like goes through my mind when I start to think about writing and. Yeah, it's just something that I just, I truly, truly, truly appreciate. And the whole, your whole um, thing about no bit characters, I just, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I, I would say for me, I align with you that uh, putting me in a box is dumb. And mm -hmm. <laughs> um, as an actor, I've always said that I think type is, type is kind of stupid. So mm -hmm. um, I, that really resonated with me but also just like your your approach of saying like authenticity isn't just it's about what is what is personal to you mm -hmm. it's it's not just about you know like writing something that will be the next big thing or trying to trying to grasp at a theme but it's really just like what do you want to write about mm -hmm. um and starting with you know maybe just two people in a room and you know mm -hmm. figuring it out from there I think that's mm -hmm. That's something that in theater we we tend to get a little bit lofty sometimes mm -hmm. about, you know, the things that we're doing. And some of the best projects are the simplest. Mm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Mm. I mean, like Flesh Eating Tiger, what I loved about that and taking it to Edinburgh w was such a – the, the whole – and the concept behind that play that I love is, like, you, you perform it in the space you're in. Mm. Like, whatever's there you use – is there a ladder? Is there this? Like, this is helpful, but if you don't have it, whatever. 
and um, the way we did it at CalArts is we used newsprint because we were broke. I mean, we're college, <laughs> you know, we were in our MFA programs. My God, we were so broke. And so I had no money. And so I just bought a couple of things. And I think I pulled a few out of the trash from the art school. <laughs> but like the, the, the big pages of newsprint they use in the drawing classes. Mm -hmm. And that's what we used. And so there's this whole reference to books because there's this whole thing about trying to find answers in books, finding mm -hmm. answers in books, and the books are not helping and the books are not helping. So what we did is we said books, but we were using these big pieces of newsprint. And so what happened with the newsprint is that they would crumple it and then they ended up filling the space. And then when as the relationship got crazy, because it's only two people. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to create a, crea a sense of a tornado it's really easy to do when you have all this newsprint all over the, f and they're going crazy. And it like created such a visceral for the audience. Like it was really fun. And you were in that kind of enclosed space. So it's just things like that, that like you can, you can do so much when like you have, don't have the resources when it forces you to start thinking differently about how can I do this with no resources. Mm -hmm. And again, like just the power of bodies on stage. Like we've talked about that. Like, you know, there's just different ways that you can do that. And to me, that is what's fun about some of the theater that you can create when you don't have all those rules and you aren't thinking, oh, you know, it has to be X, you know, it has to be this kind of like snobby like thing or whatever. And you can be a little more down and dirty with it. it, it you'll find things that you didn't know were there. And to me, that's some of the best theater. That's some of my favorite theater. Yeah. Um, but again, I was exposed to some of that you know so yeah something that you said earlier that i think really resonates is you know that your friends always look for that weird amy tofty thing <laughs> right but i yeah. think that there's a certain yeah. beauty in like being willing to explore the unexpected right yeah, that like totally. you are mm -hmm. able to just experiment and try things on and see what works and see what doesn't but like right. you're always pursuing art whatever mm -hmm. that looks like. Right, right. Um, when I founded Wild Imaginings, I said from the beginning that like I wanted audiences to not know what to expect when yeah. they came to a Wild Imaginings show. Yep. And I think that it may, it's harder, right? It's the of more course. difficult route in yeah. terms of branding yourself. But I think that it's important. And mm -hmm. I think that people live too much of their lives knowing exactly what to expect. Mm -hmm. And I think that theater is a place where we can push those boundaries right. and in mm -hmm. a safe way, push people outside of their comfort zones. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to be willing as mm -hmm. writers and as actors and as directors yep. to explore the unexpected yep. and not let ourselves be boxed in that we're allowed to explore outside of quote unquote type mm -hmm. or brand yeah. or mm -hmm. fill right. in the blank. Right. Um, and so I think that, it's been really refreshing to hear your take on your own writing and your own journey. Um, and s hopefully we see that reflected more and more frequently in the work that other people are doing. Yeah. I mean, I want to think and I want to feel. Mm -hmm. And sometimes some plays only do one of those. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I really want both. And I think that that can be challenging. But I, I do. Like, I want to think and I want to feel. And I think that's like the, the that's like the, if you had to put a, na a label on it, that's what it would be. But that's what I'm hoping. Because if you're not feeling especially, like, 
you know, and I want to laugh. I want to experience joy, but I also want to experience something profoundly human. Yeah. You know, and I think that that but but that's really hard to do. It <laughs> is. <laughs> like that it can is. be hard to do. But mm-hmm. it's a worthwhile yeah. pursuit. It, of course it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I I think if you'll allow me, I will let that be the bow on this episode that we mm-hmm. want work that forces us mm-hmm. to think and feel simultaneously mm-hmm. yeah. in a world that so often separates those things yep. out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so Mackenzie, will you let them know where they can find us if they want to explore more of our work? And then Amy will let you say where they can see things coming from you that are next. Yeah, um, so you can find us on Instagram at Imagine This Theater Pod or Wild Imaginings Waco and also wildimaginingswaco.com or through our producers, Rogue Media Networks. And Amy? Wow. Um, I, I'm on the New Play Exchange. We haven't talked about the New Play Exchange. Um, so you can just Google it and figure out what that is. But there's a ton of playwrights there, and I, ex- I, I encourage people to explore the New Play Exchange. Mm-hmm. A lot of living playwrights. Um, uh, my play Flesh Eating Tiger and Woman of 4G is available at nextstagepress.com and they are also like a huge champion of living playwrights there's tons of plays there uh, go, go wild, order a bunch of plays um, and then a book that I co-wrote the memoir is Icons and Instincts and that's like the, the, the publisher says everywhere good books are sold so <laughs> that's what i'll say Any, a, anywhere good books are sold um but yeah it's icons and instincts it's about the cor- it's the memoir of a choreographer vincent patterson and uh he um he just has an amazing life uh madonna michael jackson blonde ambition tour bjork um he did the evita movie with madonna like it's like he just has a huge like but it's a great book about art it's a great book about being an artist actually and it actually really reflects a lot of things we've been talking about it, he talks a lot about artistic process he talks a lot about working with divas um but we had a lot of fun working on it and i'm a co-author on it so yeah icons and instincts um i highly recommend so yeah that's what i got going on well thank you so much amy we have enjoyed having you for two whole episodes what What a privilege (laughs) um maybe we'll have you again someday who knows um but for now thank you all so much for joining us um we love having conversations about art and about theater um and we just feel privileged that you're willing to join us in order to imagine this i am privileged to be here 